Thanks for listening to Mea Online, a podcast of Hebrew College. Learn more and sign up for our intensive courses at www.hebrewcollege.edu slash Online. Mea is spelled M-E-A-H. Today, an excerpt from the course Journey Through the Bible. We take a look at the nature of biblical historical texts and prophecy both in the Bible and in antiquity. Our instructor is Professor Mark Brettler from Duke University. In a sense, this material concerning biblical prophecy is the hardest material to teach. After all, you've all encountered history, and you know that even modern historical texts often are highly ideological. So when I said various things about biblical history in the book of Samuel, it probably made sense to you. You know the role of story, and thus the stories in Genesis and Exodus were not so far in. You understand something and have encountered law and laws in your own life. And thus, when you encountered biblical law, they were not, these, those laws were not so strange. But prophecy? How many of you have prophecy as part of your everyday life? So imagine for a moment, and I am taping this, in Durham, North Carolina, where I live and where I teach, that I got up on a soapbox in a park near me called Trinity Park in Durham, North Carolina, and started speaking just like the prophet Amos and said, for the three sins of the people of Durham and for four, I shall not forgive it. You do not give enough charity. You turn away the homeless. You do not deal properly with the mentally ill. You do not feel the you do not feed the hungry. Therefore, says the Lord of hosts, a fire shall come out from Durham, a conflagration from Trinity Park. It will devour your houses. It will ruin your gardens. I would imagine that within two or three minutes that the t- from the time that I started speaking this, someone would have called the police and I would have been carted away to one of the psychiatric units at a Duke hospital. Or to take an analogy from uh, elsewhere in prophecy that I asked you to read about concerning the prophet Elijah. Just imagine that someone was trying out as a rabbi in your synagogue. And I know the way this is often done these days is initially he or she sends you a video showing their ability, in particular, their speaking ability. Imagine that this person was wearing not a suit and tie or a fancy dress, but rather some sort of animal skin was draped over him. And this person entered into a room and the people in the room made fun of him. He glanced at those people, cursed them, and all of a sudden a bunch of she-bears came out of the background and devoured the, person, the people who were not treating the rabbinical candidate properly. Would you want to hire that individual? But again, that is a story that is told about Elijah at the very beginning of the Book of Kings. Thus, prophecy is very difficult to understand, and it should not simply be understood as people who are psychics 
but is a much more complicated phenomenon. Israel was not unique in the ancient Near Eastern world in believing that particular individuals had prophetic abilities, at least at particular times. A basic assumption in the ancient Near Eastern world is that a god's notions or gods with the apostrophe after the S notions about what is going to happen in the future is visible in this world. Thus, in ancient Mesopotamia, and please take a moment and look at this slide, the idea was that people can understand what gods wanted or gods thought might happen in the future based on omens. So for example, in Mesopotamia, a very important social role was that of the omen priest who would sacrifice a sheep and then would open it up, would take out its liver, and based on the, sheep, on the shape of the liver of the sheep, would be able to prognosticate what is going to happen in the future. Thus, again, a predominant notion in the ancient Near Eastern world was, we know what the gods want because the gods make it clear to us in one way or another. Israel was unusual, but not totally exceptional in believing that God spoke to people, showed people visions, and these individuals, whom we call prophets, then shared these visions or what they heard, either with the king or with the population as a whole. When scholars talk about prophets in ancient Israel, they typically divide them into two groups. Classical prophets, who are prophets such as Isaiah or Jeremiah or Amos, and pre-classical or non-classical prophets. Prophets such as Nathan and God, who are associated with David and with Solomon, or prophets such as Elijah and Elisha, who are described at the end of the book or the second half of the book of 1 Kings and the beginning of the book of 2 Kings. The pre-classical prophets are typified by the following. Their prophecies are often short and they are typically to the king, both positive and negative prophecies to the king. They also frequently perform miracles such as miracles of multiplying bread, miracles of reviving dead children, or miracles of bringing she-bears out of the forest to kill various children who do not treat you properly. In that sense, they are very similar in what they do to the ancient Near Eastern prophets. The classical prophets are really quite different. They often offer long prophecies, frequently in poetry. In one of the following segments, I will talk about biblical poetry and what characterizes it. They sometimes speak to the king, but more often speak to the population as a whole. They much more often condemn than console, and instead of performing miracles, they perform weird symbolic actions. So let me talk about this in a little bit more detail and show you certain basic fe features of the pre-classical prophets.
2 Kings chapter 4 shows that these prophets generally know the future. The expectation of this woman whose child has just, been, has just died is that she is going to go to the prophet and the prophet is going to know what has happened. But here the prophet's Elisha's assistant, Gehazi, says, let her, I'm sorry, the prophet Elisha says to Gehazi, let her alone for she is in bitter distress and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. In other words, the expectation of the prophet is that he will generally know what is going on, that the Lord will not hide that from him. Similarly, the next text also with Elisha deals with a war and it suggests this is the Aramean kings who are speaking or speaking to the Aramean kings. Elisha, that prophet in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. So essentially, the prophet knows even what is happening in secret places. The third text, again, after a child has died, shows that people used to consult prophets on special occasions. Thus, the woman's husband, after their child has died, says to the woman, Why are you going to him, the prophet, today? It is neither new moon nor Sabbath. She says, It's all right, let me go. Why don't you just think about why those would have been special occasions for going to the prophet? Was that because it was then that people did not work and they were able to travel? Or is it because these holidays were understood as sacred in a special sense, and thus the prophet had more prophetic ability at these special times? The fourth text is one of several which suggests that these pre-classical prophets were paid for their activity. This was not at all typical of what would happen of the later classical prophets. Text 5 suggests that prophets often banded together in this era, and thus there is a phrase called the band of prophets. In Hebrew, this is b'nei hanevi'im, literally sons of prophets. It's really imagined that you had a whole prophetic group of siblings, in quotation marks, who hung out together. On occasion, as text 6 indicates, prophecy could be induced. In this particular case, a musician brought the prophetic spirit down to a prophet. And as text 7 says, that prophecy in this period, pre-classical prophecy, was often not to the populace as a whole, but was to the king. Finally, and I love this text, I'll spend just a bit more time on it. The pre-classical prophets were often involved in all sorts of miracles. I already talked about the second text from 2 Kings chapter 2. Let me now focus on the top text. The king of Israel, namely the north, wants to speak to Elijah. So he sends some officials to talk to him. I'm starting in verse 9 from that slide. Then he, the king, sent to him Elijah, a captain of 50 with his 50 men. He climbed up to him and found him sitting on the top of a hill. Man of God, 
Hebrew, Ishelohim, he said to him, by order of the king, come down. Elijah replied to the captain of the 50, if I am a man of God, let fire, Hebrew word ish, come down from heaven and consume you with your 50 men. Fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50 men. Let me make two points about this text. First of all, there's something amusing about it. It's as if Elijah needs to get his hearing aid adjusted. These people are saying to him, Ish Elohim, man of God, come down. But Elijah is creatively hearing this as Ish Elohim, come down. Fire of God, come down. And Elijah is all too happy to oblige by calling a fire from heaven down to consume these 50 or 51 people. But I urge you to read the rest of these verses that continue this story. The way in which this activity is stopped is when a man of 50 finally comes to Elijah, he bows down, prostrate, prostrate in front of him and says, please, I know what happened to the previous people. Please be nice to me. I do not want a fire from God. And when this captain of 50 treats Elijah properly, indeed, a fire of God does not come down and Elijah follows this captain of 50. It shows that a man of God needs to be treated with respect. Thus, to summarize the pre or non-classical prophets, by and large, these are very similar to the ancient Near Eastern prophets. They perform miracles, their oracles are short, and they predominantly speak to kings. In contrast to that, the classical prophets are fundamentally different, as this chart shows. Please take a moment to look at this chart, and I ask a question, perhaps not even rhetorically. Given how different the pre-classical and classical prophets are, should we really use the word prophet for both of them? In other words, they are fundamentally so different that perhaps we should use different words. And indeed, at least in the Bible, often the pre-classical prophets are called an Ish Elohim, a man of God, rather than the typical term for a biblical prophet, such as Isaiah or Amos, a Navi. This different terminology might really show that the Bible itself thinks that these two types of prophets are fundamentally different. Thus, they, even the similarities really reflect differences. So they both perform unusual actions, but when the classical prophets perform these unusual actions, such as Ezekiel building a model of the city, lying on one side, then lying on the other side, they are for didactic purposes while the pre-classical actions, which are unusual, really reflect on the power of the prophet. They both rebuke Roman numeral number two on this slide, but when the pre-classical prophets rebuke, it is typically the king whom they are rebuking in very short prose oracles. In the case of the classical prophets, we have long rebukes, which are often in poetic form, and are to the population as a whole. 
Finally, even though they both know the future and predict the future, again, these pre-classical prophetic predictions are very short. The classical ones are long and poetic and are often conditional, suggesting that this bad future will only transpire if the people do not repent. Thus, it really is a very good question of whether or not a single term prophecy can cover what both the classical and the pre-classical prophets do. That's it for today. Learn more about Maya online, including how you can help a member of the armed services take our paid online courses at www.hebrewcollege.edu slash online. We'd love your feedback about today's show. Email us at mayaonline at hebrewcollege.edu. If you like the show, please leave us a review in iTunes or whichever podcasting service you use to subscribe. Our music is from Gala, a 10th anniversary celebration of the Rabbinical School of Hebrew College. Thanks for listening.